All right, we're gonna uh, start out this morning um, by playing playing a game. And uh, anybody who wants to play, meet me on that side of the sanctuary. Okay, Nene, yeah, if you want to go ahead and move the camera, thank you. That way everybody on the internet can watch what's going to happen. You're going to want to watch, I promise. Okay, uh, any kids or adults who want to play? And if you want to watch, feel free to stand and come over, okay? Just stand back there. Rick, raise your hand. Rick, raise your hand. Stand by Rick. Go stand by Rick.
so start your time, you ready to go? Right, go ahead, start. to finish that game, right? Maybe until Rick's arm got tired of fighting back the leaf blower and he had to just take a nap, and then at that point, you would probably be tired of running around, so. (laughs) Jill back there with the burns on her husband. So have you guys ever had a job? that made you frustrated. You feel like you're spinning your wheels maybe, or maybe you've never had enough time. Maybe the wind kept blowing your balls off the tape, right? Work can be frustrating. And I think everyone who has done homework in a subject they do not like knows exactly what I'm talking about. They can sympathize. But work can also be Rewarding and even sometimes fun. I mean, that was kind of fun, but it was also frustrating, or at least when Rick came with the leaf blower. And work is very important. It's, it's a third of our lives. You may have heard the statistic before, but we work 90,000 hours in an average lifetime. That's a third of our day is dedicated to work. So we should probably know what the Bible says about it. So what does the Bible say on this topic? And more specifically, What was God's original intent with work in relationship to humans? This week we're looking at created, right? And we're we're taking Genesis as our springboard. We're saying, how did God make us? How did he make work? What is the relationship between us and work and God's intention? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2 is a parallel creation account to chapter 1. But it focuses on some different things, and it tells it from a different perspective. Genesis 2 captures the angles of creation in a way that shows what God was doing and why he did things. Slightly different than chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 7 and read to 9, and then we're going to skip to verse 15 there. Then 
Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east, an Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Go ahead and skip with me to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate and keep it. The verses between are just describing where the garden's at, you know, between the four different rivers there, so... But these are the important verses. I, I, let's make an observation, some observations about them. First, the creation of man and the creation of the garden went hand in hand. All right? And it seems that the garden was created as a place for man to go. The word Eden, by the way, means paradise. And can be, it carries these connotations of delight and pleasure. The implications being that it's a really, really good place. The best place, in fact. Imagine a garden with all the fresh food you can imagine. It's beautiful and verdant and safe, and it's always 72 degrees with a slight breeze. It's perfect. And you don't get sunburned. We also see that God has his part in the growth of the, of the garden. He is the one who sustains the growth of the plants. He's the one that caused the trees to grow. And in the verse 15, this is kind of the big reveal where the pieces come together. There's this man and there's this garden. And then verse 15 makes it make sense. God created the garden to be worked and cared for. And then God created man to work and care in it. Now, I want to dive in a little deeper on what those words mean. The NASB uses, in verse 15, it uses the word cultivate, and it uses the word keep. But those are not the only translations of the word, and that doesn't encompass the whole meaning. So the word cultivate in Hebrew is, and some of your translations, the word work is abad. And this word can be, and this word can be translated cultivate, can be translated work, it can be translated service, and it can also be translated as worship. And in fact, this word is most often used in the Old Testament to talk about worship and to talk about worshipers and the people performing the religious duties as priests. So this work is a form of worship. It, it ties the ideas of service and worship together in a deep way and, and work and worship together. And then there is this word for keep, which is shamar. And this word, as we have here in Genesis 2, is keep. But it also means preserving something, to watch over something, to oversee. And this word is sometimes used in the Old Testament uh, when talking about like watching over sheep. Or when someone leaves and they put their property in the trust of someone else, and that person is shamaring their property. They're overseeing it. They're taking care of it. They're, they're watching it. But most frequently, this word is actually used when talking about keeping covenants with God. And obeying his commands. To, to keep God's word. To listen to him. To be obedient. And when we combine these two words. To work. To cultivate. And to keep. I think we get a big picture of what God was intending for man in the garden. Here's how I think we can talk about it. 
productive work that serves as worship, seeks to preserve the goodness that God created, and keeping God in mind while doing it. I think that's what those two words combined mean. Productive work that serves as worship to God, seeks to preserve the goodness he created, and keeping God in mind while doing it. And there's another really important observation about this passage. God's command to work was before, I don't know which way the timeline would go for you guys. Is it before, over here, or over here? Either way, it's over here. Okay. God's command for work was before the fall of man. This means that work is not a part of the curse that sin brought into the world. Work is actually an original part of God's creation. And is going to be in part of his recreation. But we'll get there in a minute. I want to acknowledge also that work has been touched by sin. But just like everything else in this age. Okay? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 17 and 19. You usually have to turn more than this. It's just one page. Okay? Maybe it's on the same page. It's on the same page for me. In Genesis chapter 3, this comes after Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God finds out and um, he's laying out punishment for the serpent. And he's telling Adam and Eve how their life is going to be from this point on. So first he talks to the serpent. He says, you're going to be punished. Here's what your life is going to be like. And he talks to Eve and he says, this is what life is going to be like for you now. And then he talks to Adam and he says this about Adam's work. Look at verse 17 and 19. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have... That, I don't think that's... Usually men, you should listen to your wives, okay? It's just this, not categorical practice for your life. But because you listen to your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you'll eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, from dust, from you, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So the curse, importantly, changes a few things about work. First, we see that work now contains toil, which is the same word for pain and sorrow in Hebrew. All right? It's painful. It taxes our bodies. It can bring suffering. And we also see that within the curse, now work contains obstacles and setbacks. There are thorns and thistles where there only used to be good fruit. There is also now the mention of sweat and exertion in a way that the first commandments of God to work did not mention. I'm sure we can all relate to that description of work, right? The pain, the suffering, the obstacles, the setbacks, the unwanted results, the effort, the pain, sometimes blood. I worked with uh, Kevin putting up his pole barn, and the ladder fell out from under me. And I grabbed onto the two-by-fours, and I was fine. But, you know, that's a part of the fallen world. You know, that's the, that's the nasty part of work. The curse then sheds light in kind of this weird way. The curse sheds light on how work was before, though. Right? If now it's filled with setbacks 
and exertion and pain and suffering, what was work beforehand? It must have been free of those things, right? It must have been fruitful. It must have been fulfilling and productive. There weren't any setbacks. And I think this gives us a taste of what to look forward to in the future. And this is what Isaiah 65, you don't have to turn there, have it for here on the screen. This is what Isaiah 65 says about the new creation. This is what it says about the redeemed world. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. This is different because you're always in the place of being conquered, where your work would be taken from you, right? Where you'd build a house and someone else would live in it. You'd plant a vineyard, someone come and take your produce. But no, not that way anymore. They will not build and another inhabit. They will not plant and another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will, work, will wear out the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain or build ch- children for calamity. For they are the offsprings of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in my holy mountain, says the Lord. So here God says that in new creation, work is going to be redeemed, just like everything else. It says that we will wear out the work of our hands. And what that means is that our work will not be undone. It's not going to decay, right? The things that we make, we're going to use them completely. It's not like something's going to break or fall apart. We're going to wear out the work of our hands, and we're not going to be laboring in vain. That means the work that we produce is not going to have the thorns or thistles in it. It's not going to have the setbacks. Those are going to be removed in the new creation. And you may be finding it surprising, as I did right now. Um, I first learned that in the future age, we're actually going to be working. I learned this a little bit ago. Um, a few years ago, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting realization to have. And you may be, besi- be surprised to find that out as well, that we are going to have jobs in the future age. It will be purposeful. It will be worshipful, like we saw in Genesis chapter 2. We're not going to be sitting around playing harps with halos floating above our heads, right? We're not going to be lounging on clouds eating grapes while angels fan us, Okay. That's not what the Bible says the future is. That's not what it's about. We're going to be doing important things. We're going to be doing meaningful things with the people that we love and alongside our creator like it was in the beginning of Eden. The future isn't all about work, though, because there are a lot of passages that talk about feasting and joy and celebration and rest. What God has in store for us, I promise, It's going to be paradise, and it's going to be better than anything you can imagine. It's going to be recreating the goodness that he originally had in creation. And then there's one last angle that I want to talk about this morning. How are we supposed to view work today as Christians, like in this age? We looked about 
what it was like at the beginning. We've looked at what it's going to be in the future. What about now? Well, Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says this. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. When we work, we are supposed to be viewing it as an act of service to our Lord. Much like we saw with the words used in Genesis chapter 2. We are to do our work now with patience. Knowing that our true reward is not paid in this age. But it is in the inheritance with Christ in the resurrection. Just because work in this age may be filled with difficulty and sweat and pain... That should not stop us from making it worship. should not stop us from serving the Lord because we are created to work and we can work to serve our creator. So here are a few things I want us to take away today. Number one, we are created and commanded to work, which you probably saw that coming given the theme of our service and the message. As we saw in Genesis 2, man was made to produce in and preserve God's creation. We saw last week that there is also a time to rest. But this week we are seeing that there is also worship to be done in our work. It can be fulfilling. There's a way to do it that brings God glory. And there's no point in Scripture, importantly, where God tells us to stop working, where he says, you know, work's not important. You can do something else. There's never anything like that. In fact, our faith is supposed to make us work harder and with more intentionality than most people. Work in a way that the world doesn't understand. Why are you working so hard for this guy? Because I'm serving the Lord. Number two, importantly, work comes before the curse. You may have assumed that work was a result of the fall of man, like everything was just happening by itself beforehand. No, work was a part of God's creation. It was a part of the paradise that he created. And I think there's also a deep satisfaction that God creates inside of us when we do something that is productive. Have you guys ever worked on something you're proud of? And you take a step back and you look at you like, oh yeah, that's, some, that's good. That's something good. I think that feeling that we have is a built-in part of us from God. And the last thing here, rest and know that your work has eternal significance. I think it's pretty easy to get trapped in the mundane day in and day out grind of work, right? You can kind of lose yourself in it. But if you practice seeing work as an act of worship, it makes our daily efforts, I think, a little more unique and special. Sure, there are going to be times that work sucks. Am I allowed to say that? It's going to suck, okay? And we're not going to want to do it. But we can know that even in the trial and the heart of it, that is going to have meaning, that's going to last forever, because we're not just serving the things of this world. We're working for the Lord, and he's going to live forever. That means that our work is going to last forever. God wants us to know that our hard work does not go unnoticed. So I hope you enjoyed looking at work this morning. And I feel like now that we've covered both sides of the coins, work and rest, we can see the godly balance that comes with it. And we're going to be looking uh, the next week or two at more ways that God has created us to be. Go ahead and pray with me this morning.
I hope, God, that you, I pray that you allow us to see work as worship to you. That you allow us to take it seriously. That you also allow us to see rest as important. Please help us uh, strike a balance that uh, you think is good. To look to you, to how we are created and what we're supposed to be doing. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.